Hi, and welcome back to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable English lit podcast. I'm Chantel. And I'm Amy. And this is going to be a weird episode. It's been a weird day. Yes. You may have noticed our reading list so far has been very Caucasian. Is that supposed to make a joke here? No. And the reason for this is because the main core courses are pretty Caucasian. And those are the courses we took together. But we're going to try this book, Mm -hmm. which only I have read. Yeah. You may have also noticed this is a comedy podcast. Yes. And this is not a comedy book. This is not a book we can make jokes about. Well, I wouldn't know because I didn't really read it. So it's going to be a serious episode but amy before we get into the serious episode would you like to tell us a joke um this class no um uh i'd like to explain why i didn't read the book so i didn't read this book because i didn't get into it and i was very stressed i didn't i didn't have the like emotional capacity for it i think Mrs. Dalloway, which is not the book that we're doing this week, was heavy and we read it around the same time. And I think that kind of just threw me for like a disassociation loop. And I was like, "Mm, no more. But in hindsight, I don't know why my brain was like, you don't need to read the one book by the one black author in this one class. Apologies. It's a lot. I have a lot of content warnings. But we'll get into that after. Yeah. Firstly, I would like to say we talked about my Antonia last week. My Antonia? N- no. And we read somewhere on the internets that My Antonia is considered one of the greatest American novels of all time. True. And when we said that, I was like, I will be so mad if this is on a list of best American novels and it's placed above Beloved. I'll be so upset. Upsetty with your spaghetti? So what I had to do was I had to look up the greatest American novels list and I found one and I looked through it and Tom Sawyer was way up there, Gross. which yuck, but Beloved was number seven. Okay. And my Anton, my, my Antonia. Oh, I know, uh, I guys, almost- I want to put it on the record. She almost said it the right way. <laughs> Gotta cut that. My Antonia was number not on the list. Good. So in my opinion, Beloved is one of the greatest American novels, and it's probably one of the most important novels to read in general. Wow. Thank you, Chantel. You're so welcome, Amy. I think it's very well written. It's not most people's favorite book because it's not what I would consider a fun read. It's very emotionally draining because it deals with really heavy topics all the time. But Even if you don't personally like it, I think it's a really good book. Yeah, I think, like, I loved the class discussions we had about it, and I liked hearing people talk about it. I just couldn't get past this, like, mental roadblock of, like, this is going to be too much. Yeah. Like, you know how Glee is a bad show, but some people like it, like me? Right. It's, like, the opposite of that. Like, it's good, but a lot of people don't like it. It's like, I guess, The Handmaid's Tale, right? So, like, it's a really, like, people say it's a really good show, and, you know, it's it's a good book. But, like, it's something that I do not have the emotional capacity to live through. Absolutely. So, again, before I start... This is a book about slavery. So if that is something that has affected your family and you just want like a break from the bad things in the world, you can skip this episode. That's fine. And if any of these content warnings are something that you're like, I can't do that. Not today. If you're like big yikes, you can you can bow out. You can bow out. But if not, I highly recommend reading this book. In hindsight, I'm like, gosh 2013 amy why didn't you read this goddamn book you still could read it well no i've read like one book in like the past three years there's still time there's still time i guess 
So the content warnings are basically everything you would expect from a story about slavery. There is murder, there is torture, there is rape, there is infanticide. So yeah, let's jump into the summary. So the novel is split between the present in Cincinnati, Ohio, and the past at a plantation called Sweet Home in Kentucky. The flashbacks are from different perspectives, so you sometimes see like the same scene from different perspective, and it slowly fills in the pieces of the story for you. It's kind of a book you need to put together like a puzzle, which I find really interesting. Okay. So we open on our main character, Setha, who is living in Cincinnati with her young adult daughter, whose name is Denver. I like that name. Denver's a good name. She's actually named after someone named Amy Denver. Denver's a great name. (laughs) They are living in a very haunted house, and everyone believes the ghost is Setha older daughter because it is oh there's magic realism in this isn't there isn't this where it came from yes this is a magical realism book i'm paying attention guys it's a good genre i'm down Mm -hmm. with that genre yeah so they're at the house and a man named paul d stops by the house to visit setha hasn't seen him since they were both imprisoned as slaves together at sweet home and when he shows up she starts unearthing all these suppressed memories like he brings it all back for her so we start getting flashbacks to Setha's past and Paul D's past. I think occasionally Denver's past. So in the past, Setha was sold to the Garners at Sweet Home when she was 13 years old. So Sparknote says they practice a, quote, comparatively benevolent form of slavery. I would like to note that is very relative. They weren't outrageously violent, but they still stole people's lives and freedoms. And like, there's always a threat of violence if the people in slavery ever tried to escape. So it's a trope in classic stories about the antebellum South to have like the nice slave owner, but that's a myth. Like they did not exist in real life. Slave owners were either evil or they were evil with a smile. The book isn't playing into that trope. It's subverting the trope because Paul D in the book questions whether their treatment by the Garners and their treatment by a later like master of the house amounted to anything different right? because their condition was basically the same in both cases. It was just they felt a little bit different. Okay. So in the past, Setha marries one of the men on the plantation. His name is Hallie. She likes him because he is hardworking, he is kind, and he basically like worked extra on weekends with for other people who weren't the plantation owners um, so that he could buy his mother's freedom. Not his own, but his mother's. And she's the one who lived in Cincinnati. Right, okay. Her name is Baby Suggs. Oh, I remember her as a character. She's good. Yeah. Then Mr. Garner dies, and the management of the plantation is taken over by one of the worst fictional characters in existence. He's only known as school teacher. He doesn't have a name, and he doesn't seem human, but he really is. Humans do these terrible things. Basically, he just comes in and he makes everyone's life miserable, for no reason. He just gets a kick out of like making everyone's life a living hell. Right. So they start planning to escape. Wonder why. So the ones who do escape are either killed or brought back and then given horrific punishments. One of those people is Paul D. He is brought back and he's forced to wear a metal bit in his mouth because school teacher really likes to dehumanize people. Right. Well, there's a lot of animal imagery in the book. There is. Yes. Okay. Because the people are 
like constantly dehumanized. Like the only way that you can do something like that to another person is if you don't think of them as a human. Right, yeah, yeah. So Setha is raped. And then when she reports the rape to Mrs. Garner, she's beaten very intensely, even though she's pregnant. Hallie witnesses this and he loses his mind because he couldn't do anything about it. And then Setha decides she's going to go through with her escape plan. She's already sent her three kids to Cincinnati to her mother-in-law baby Suggs. And while she's running away, she kind of like collapses in a forest because she's like malnourished and running and desperate and stuff. And then she starts to go into labor. A young woman finds her and helps her give birth in a boat. That woman's name is Amy Denver. The good Amy. The good Amy. So she names her baby Denver after that woman. Right. So she finally makes it to Cincinnati. She has escaped and she's reunited with her kids and everything's lovely. And then a month later, school teacher shows up to take them all back. And you might be thinking, how can he possibly take them all back if they had escaped? Aren't they now free? Yes and no. Okay. So he could do this to a free family because they weren't technically considered free. So there was a set of laws in 1793 and 1850 called the Fugitive Slaves Act. And this part of the book in the past is set in 1855. So both of those laws are in effect. So the first law, the 1793 one, allowed local governments to capture people who had escaped from slavery and return them to the plantations and the other places they came from. And it would, it kind of set out punishments for people who helped them. And then the second one from 1850 added even harsher penalties to anyone helping them escape. So they came and they kidnapped her, but it was like a legal kidnapping. Right. Like if they thought that you were potentially not free, then they could just do what they wanted. Basically, like if you hadn't bought your freedom papers, you basically were on the run for your whole life. Trash. Trash. 1855, when this was set, was not all that long ago. No. Like a lot of people think slavery was a really long time ago, but this is about six generations or 166 years ago. So if I had a 90-year-old grandmother right now and I talked to her and she had talked to her 90-year-old grandmother when she was 10 years old, she could give me a secondhand account of this time. Yeah. So like... Bit too close to home. It's not that long. And then there was stuff going on way after that. So... And now... Like 1850 is... Like the people who fought in the First World War were like, you know, what, 60 at that point? Yeah. Like they would have been 60 in the First World War. So like it wasn't really all that far gone. And we still think as like the World Wars as being relatively close, you know? Yeah, the, the World Wars were not that long ago. And the people born in 1855 would have been, yeah, like 60 around the time of the World Wars. Which is still like fighting time. Yeah. So like you had the chance to just have seen like slavery going on and then go fight for other people's freedom in a country you've never been in. It's not good. Sorry, guys. I'm not making jokes here. It's just what Because there's no jokes to be made. There's no jokes to be made. So Setha sees school teacher and she starts running away with her kids to the woodshed. Why the woodshed? Because at the woodshed, she attempts to kill them all so that they don't have to go back. Right. Which is really sad. I like the point out that's really sad. Yeah. If she's like, death is better than living in confinement in this horrible place. Yeah. It's very sad. So she only manages to get to one child. And the child she gets to is her 
her older daughter um, and then the slave catchers get to her and everyone's like, oh, this woman is crazy. She murdered her child. And it's like, no. This woman has a brain. She's not crazy. She just knew what kind of world they would be growing up in. Yeah. And she got to her daughter, a baby, not her infant infant daughter, like her newborn infant daughter. So she didn't start with the oldest because the oldest were boys. So she knew what it was like growing up as a woman in slavery, and she knew how hard that was. So she went for the oldest of the daughters. Yeah. Um, Well, the boys could probably also fight off more than the girls could have, you know, like strength wise. You can't fight back. Well, I know you can't. But if they had a fighting chance, you know, like they had the fighting chance more than the girls ever would. I At least they wouldn't end up pregnant at the end. Yeah, basically that's it. Because if you had a woman slave, she would just have tons and tons of babies and then you would have like an empire. Yeah. They would have like like 25 kids. Yeah. Because the slave owners wanted more slaves yeah so her baby was gone her children were taken and setha and her newborn baby because she was still nursing were sent to jail they were there for a little while but then a group of white abolitionists were campaigning for them so they got let out and they finally were sent back to her mother-in-law's house i don't really remember why they were set free instead of taken back to the plantation at this point except maybe they thought that she wasn't like fit to be around people anymore and they didn't want her to be like a danger to the other people in slavery yeah like she had too much of a spirit to start rallies and like protests and stuff so you might as well just take her out of the equation kind of thing yeah or like they didn't understand why she had done the thing she did so they were like this woman's crazy we can't have her being like a risk right you know Mm -hmm. we don't know what she's gonna do next yeah so they go back to baby suggs's house baby suggs is not doing well baby suggs knows what's going on um she just had her granddaughter lost her she's now being shunned by the community because the community knows what happened so they're basically living in isolation from the community and oh also setha gets the word beloved engraved on her child headstone that comes up later right and it's the title of the book can i interject something here that's a bit can i give us a break yes okay please do this is on brand with our antonia debate okay so i am esl and i think one of the reasons that i may not have gotten completely into the book is because i read beloved as beloved it is beloved for the longest time why did everybody tell me it was beloved it is beloved because it's it was short for dearly beloved then were people trying to tell me it was it wasn't beloved maybe there was something with that pronunciations are weird and you were like just fresh out of a french town fresh out of 14 years of french class yeah fresh out of frenchland not france no not france but it was it was difficult to figure out the wording of it and i'm kind of sad that i didn't read this book but after your summary i'm not gonna need to you can wait like a year until you forget my summary and then you can read it after and then i can just replay the podcast no don't don't do that (laughs) that was my joke for today guys come back next week when i can talk about funny things so back in the present when paul d gets to the house after he had escaped sweet home and then he had gone through so much there and then he was sold off to this horrible person and that person was awful and then he tried to attack that person and then he was sold off to a chain gang and the chain gang was terrible and he finally escaped that chain gang 
and he basically wandered around throughout like the civil war and then he came to setha's house so paul d is not having the ghost he is not in the mood he has been through a lot he's not in the vein he's not in the vein he chases the ghost away and they are just having like a nice relaxing time he and setha kind of get together because he always had a crush on setha but he was like respectful enough not to try to act on it because she didn't want that right she was into hallie and hallie was his friend and and he was friends with setha so they were all kind of just around each other right they start a little bit of a romance and then he and setha are walking home one day and they find a young woman sleeping outside the house The woman says her name is Beloved. Right. This was a trippy part of the book. Yes. She's a little bit older than Denver. She's the age that Setha's daughter would have been if she had grown up. Right. This is the magical realism part. And yes, it is trippy. Yeah. It's made very clear that she is the daughter. She is her resurrected daughter. Like This is a corporal form of a ghost. She was the ghost and she was haunting the house. And then she came back when the ghost was chased away as like a resurrected person. Right. So Beloved becomes very attached to Setha very fast. Wonder why. And then she starts doing things that, you know, the kind of things a vengeful spirit would do. Like throwing plates? Like flushing toilets? You know, like throwing plates, flushing toilets, seducing Paul D against his will. Right, 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 right. Cool, 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 cool. Um, so she sexually assaults Setha's partner. Not cool, not cool. Not cool. Bad times. So then he's like, Setha, why are you keeping this horrible young woman around? She bad. We just found her outside. Just kick her out. And Setha has to tell him, I killed my daughter and this is her. And Paul D is again not having that. No. He's not having the ghosts. He's not having the resurrected daughters. He's not having the forgiveness for infanticide. He's just having none of it. Right. Paul D's like that one character in all scary TV shows and movies who's like, I'm dealing with this and leaves. Yeah. And that's what he does. He leaves for almost the rest of the book. Right. So he moves into the basement of the church. I don't know why he sticks around Cincinnati, but I guess he's there now. What else is he going to do? I guess. So then after he moves out, Beloved becomes suddenly really demanding. Um, she's like draining Setha of her life force and Setha starts like sleeping in later and then she loses her job and she's then she's around Beloved all the time and it's so much worse and Beloved like eats all the food in the house and Setha's like oh you can have my portion of the food so Setha's wasting away. So it's very much like how I perceive probably being forced to have a million kids would be like you know they they completely depend on you you give your life to them you give your body to them you like you know everything you do is for them and it's it's pretty freaking exhausting i'm guessing yeah i would agree with that like i feel like you know if she's eating her literally out of house and home i can just imagine like that this is like you know her baby still like nursing at the teeth, you know? Yes, exactly. She's like, she's doing everything a mother is expected to do for her baby, but her baby is a vengeful 20-year-old spirit. spirit. Yeah. Yeah. 
So then she starts acting like Setha and they have this weird role reversal where she's like trying to mother Setha and then when Setha tries to push back a little bit, she'll like get really aggressive and start throwing plates like a vengeful spirit. Right. And she becomes like really violent and abusive. It's just like a bad situation for everyone. Denver hasn't left the house in 12 years because she's kind of an agoraphobe. But she's like, okay, you know what? Enough is enough. She's like, Beloved is draining my mother's life force. She's sitting here all day asking why my mother killed her. And it's not good for anybody. So she goes outside to get help. Does she go to Denver? She does not. She is not. Sorry, I needed to make that joke. It was a callback to last It was a good. Yeah, thanks. She goes to get help from the ladies in the community, and they're very helpful. They give her food. They start leaving, like, little baskets near the door. They leave, like, little notes on the basket, so she starts getting to know everyone and getting to know all their names and their stories. They help her find a job with the uh, the white abolitionist who got her and Setha freed from jail originally. Right. And then finally, they come to exercise the house, like, get Beloved out of the house. Beloved needs to get out of the house. Right. Take out the beloved yeah yeah so they show up at the house and then a bunch of things happen like plates and lights flickering and no like plants wiltering <laughs> no no okay not like that a, just a bunch of things in a row so they go to the house and they find beloved on the porch naked <laughs> and pregnant oh no i presume she's pregnant with paul d's kid well yeah she raped him yes Denver's new boss is also waiting there. The man who led the campaign to get her freed from jail. Wait, Denver's new boss? Yeah. Oh, okay. Thought Denver hadn't left the house. Denver did go out of the house to get help. Okay, but now she has a boss. They helped her get a new job and he is her boss. Okay, I understand. Thank you. You're welcome. So he's there to pick her up for work. He, I guess he's going to like drive her or walk her to work or whatever. Right. So Setha sees all these women coming toward her and she sees this white man standing outside and she spots him and she thinks he's school teacher. She has this like flashback and this PTSD moment and she thinks he's school teacher coming for her children again. Right. So she takes an ice pick and she goes to attack him. All the ladies are there. So Mm -hmm. they restrain her. They take the ice pick and they like try to calm her down. And there's this big fray. And in the fray, Beloved gets scared and she disappears, never to be seen again. You can't see me, but I'm doing that one meme face where I'm like, "Eh, what's going on? Like, it's a very confusing scene. I guess the neighbor ladies did what they came to do. Like they did exercise the house, not the way that they expected to, but Beloved's gone. Which is what matters, I guess. I guess not. Never to be seen again because one person does say he sees a pregnant lady walking through the woods a couple of weeks later and they're like, where was she? And he's like, I don't know. And then and then she's never seen again. I don't know. I was over on the bench. I don't know what accent that was. <laughs> Neither do I. It was a John Mulaney joke. Because I was over on the bench. So, Setha has lost her child again. Yeah. Even though her child was being abusive and bad, she is sad. Yeah. Um, she becomes very mournful. She becomes bedridden. And she's on the brink of death when Paul D comes back. Paul D's like, cool, this house is good again. This house is good again, we can come here. He has been told that the house is good again and that Seth is just kind of laying around and he's worried that she has just like laid down to die. Right. And he's like, we can't have that. No. So he comes back and he tells her that they need more tomorrow to make yesterday bearable. That's sweet. Which is a beautiful line. Yeah. And very like bittersweet. 
And then she says, she was my best thing, talking about Beloved. And he says, Setha, you're your best thing. We all need a Paul D in our lives. I know, right? He's he's a very good character. I like him a lot. Can we get like motivational speaker Paul D over here, please? The podcast needs some some vibes. It would be good. So that's the end of the book. What did you think of the book, Amy? See, okay, so I did like I read a couple parts of it, and it was all right. Um, I can see why it's a very good book though. Like now that I've read a lot more like black literature and African literature, like I have. A lot more background, I think, to approach this book. I don't think it's a very good book for approaching these topics in a first year course. Like, there's something to be said about like trial by fire. Yeah, it doesn't ease you into any of it. Yeah, like Toni Morrison is an amazing writer. She's an amazing, incredible writer. Yes, hundred percent. I love everything that I've ever had the fortune to actually read of hers. I do wish that in the survey courses, they would put like happy black literature. Yeah. But in our first year survey course and our second year survey course, the only black lit we read was about slavery. And yeah, that's important to learn about. But there's like so much to celebrate Mm -hmm. in the black community as well. And I think that we should have both of those things. I think it needs a balance. I think like... Also, more celebration, less grieving. Yeah, the grieving is is also important and people need to learn about that. But it's like also only talking about black literature in the context of slavery, I think kind of consigns it to the past and it's very much in the present. Yeah, and it doesn't really like lend itself to seeing black experiences as something that's happening like they're not just this token of slavery from years gone by you know yeah and if you want to talk about racism so much still happening there's racism happening all the time yeah it's kind of like if you're only learning about racism in the context of slavery you're like okay so slavery has ended so slavery is over yeah thankfully this book doesn't do that even though it's set during the time of slavery and right after the civil war it kind of hints that there's so far to go yeah it questions the intention of even the good white people so mr garner is supposed to be like the good slave owner like if this was a classic antebellum south story that's what he would be he would be like the good guy like gone from the wind exactly like gone with the wind he's not that when it comes down to it hallie and paul d say he's about the same as school teacher they both exploit people they both hold them hostage for profit their lives are basically the same in both situations like they're not free to go live mm-hmm. when denver goes to see mr bodwin he's the white abolitionist who got her freed from jail she goes to his house and she sees a figurine of a slave with coins in his mouth and there's a little tag that says at your service so it's like okay this is like basically the best white person you can be right now and you've still got this in your house yeah and she finds it really weird yeah and she's really uncomfortable with it and rightly so because it's very strange but it's kind of like you know the little lawn jockeys that people had even when i was growing up i saw them in like small towns i have no idea what you're talking about it's like a little figurine in blackface and it's like a little emblem of servitude it's very strange sounds weird it's very weird it makes it very clear that racism doesn't end at bad slave owners and it doesn't end at slavery there's attitudes behind 
behind the people that were supporting slavery. And there's also attitudes just ingrained in the culture that led people to think that slavery was okay. It was an okay thing to do. And it's very obviously not. And those attitudes are what needed to be addressed. And basically, when slavery ended, they just kind of were like, okay, we're done. Like, there's nothing else we need to do. There was no transition plan in place. They weren't like, okay, after slavery ends, we're going to take the people who were trapped in slavery, we're going to like help them get houses, help them find somewhere to live, somewhere to settle, maybe find jobs, something to do. But no, there was none of that. No, it was designed to be a don't you think you had it better with us kind of system. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened. They ended up being exploited into basically just slavery again. Like there weren't really labor laws and there was still like horrible attitudes. So they were paid pittances. They still are. There's still a huge wage gap. They had to live in like segregated areas and those areas weren't well maintained. Yeah, like slavery did not end segregation. And I think like people think that, you know, slavery is a while back, like segregation segregations a while back but like the civil rights movement one is still happening but two is like very prominent in like the 50s yeah and even integration didn't really end segregation because there were still segregated areas like the way the neighborhoods had been set up with like a checkerboard like white people are over here and black people are over here and then they gave the black people less money and then they couldn't pay as much into taxes and the city didn't want to help maintain that area so the areas became known as like the ghettos and those areas were still where people could afford to live yeah. afterwards if they were black and if they weren't paid the same as white people it's like this vicious cycle of get this systemic racism and there was never a transition plan in place no. each step that has been taken has been like clawed out of the people in power's hands yeah and like near the end paul d was thinking about his time after the civil war when he was wandering around and how during the civil war he was running from both sides so like the north and the south and you always think of like people who were in slavery would run to the north but i guess like he didn't see it that way he saw them like neither was really a good option and then he, after the civil war he thought he was free he was like okay i can do whatever i want now and then he was walking around and it was still like far too dangerous. Like he was seeing people killed on the side of the road. He was like, okay, I guess I can't just go wherever I want because it's not safe. Yeah. So there's a reason it's written like this. And I think it has a lot to do with the context it was written in. It was written in 1987 by Toni Morrison. Toni Morrison lived in New York at the time and she had lived there for a while. So like, I think she was most familiar with the attitudes in New York. So I'm going to talk mostly about that. I'm sad that we have to talk about her in the past tense now, though. I know. Like when we read this book, we talked about her in the present tense. She was still alive. She was still producing. She was still contributing everything that was good about her to the world. And now we're left with these pieces of literature that we like have to like claw her energy out of, you know? Yes. She's such a, a figurehead yeah. of literature and she's like such an important author and it's so odd to think of how she passed away between the time I read this book and now. Yeah. But yeah, 
in the 1980s when she was writing this, people were starting to talk more openly about race. The Color Purple had just been published and that was about kind of race relations and it was by Alice Walker. New York was still very segregated into black and white neighborhoods, like we were saying. Yeah. So you can see in the book there's a hope for change, but even that hope's always tinged with like we've got so far to go. Mm-hmm. Like she has the context of the present and she knows like even more than 100 years later like it's not that different and yeah that's the book I basically just wanted to summarize it and like talk about some of the context of it because I don't think there's like a whole lot I can add to this discussion as a white person but if you want to listen to two black women talk about this book I would highly recommend the episode on it from the stacks I thought that was a really well done episode and I would recommend it. I would agree. I give your summary like a 10 out of 10. What would you, yeah, what would you rate my summary on a scale of 1 to 7? Okay, on a scale to 1 to 7, I think your summary was like a solid 6. Hear me out. I think okay. reading the book would have been better. Okay. In hindsight, you know, young Amy probably should have read it and like current Amy probably should have read it, but you know, I'm very sad all the time. So I'm going to keep myself in mental check about that. Mm-hmm. Keep it in your back pocket. Yeah. If you're ever like, okay, I can mentally tackle this book right now. It's a good one. Yeah. I mean, I have so many other books I'm trying to mentally prepare myself to tackle someday. There's a lot of really good literature out there. And I think, you know, a lot of it is really accessible. I think like one of the things with Beloved is that I didn't find it very accessible to me at the time. Like, in terms of what I was ready to read, I think. Yeah. But then, you know, I gobbled up the Book of Negroes like it was nothing. I gobbled up Kindred like it was nothing. So I think there was a lot of maturing that happened throughout my my school years. And Beloved is something that definitely needs to be revisited. But, you know, all those books are, are something to dabble into if you want to, like, ease into it, I guess. Kindred's probably the most accessible of the list. Um, It's a time travel narrative. I have not read it. I will put it on my list. It's real good. I love time travel. There's time travel back to the antebellum south and there's a lot of discussions about what it's like to be the white partner to a black woman and there's a lot of like you know despite the fact that he thinks he understands her plight he doesn't because even though he travels with her at some point he didn't live through her experiences there right it kind of gives me timeless vibes i don't know if you've seen the show timeless i haven't so it's about time travel it's a really excellent show but there's like a lot of discussions about the different ways people have been treated throughout history because the three people traveling together are a white man, a white woman, and a black man. Oh, fun. So they've got very different ways they can travel through time. Even though they're going to the same places, they have to behave very differently. Yeah. So I think, you know, if you're looking for something that's kind of more ease into it, that could be a good one. The Book of Negroes is heavy, but reads very easily but so yeah i think beloved is a good read and i encourage you to be better than me (laughs) so yeah we really thank you for being here with us for this more serious episode and we know it's a comedy podcast and sometimes we need to talk about serious things so thank you for sticking to the end we are almost at a year of podcast and we just appreciate this entire 
little tiny community that we built. We love doing this. Where can people find us, Amy? People can find us under the handle at UnsightedPod, wherever you use handles like that, <laughs> uh, which is Twitter and Instagram. You know, we have an email. You can find it in like our previous stuff. I'm not going to say it because we only get spam mail. So y'all can talk to us different ways. UnsightedPodcast at Outlook.com. Oh yeah, don't forget to give us peer review please yes we would love for your peer reviews we haven't got a peer review in a while and i know that we're not getting everything right it's impossible especially this episode there's only so much research you can do on the internet i didn't even read the book i am not perfect so please give us a peer review if you read the book tell me why i should read the book if you also didn't read the book commiserate with me and that being said you know uh we appreciate you being here with us and is there something else you want to say we hope to see you in two weeks and as always, we're excited, unavailable. Though maybe Chantel has some today. <laughs> I just got a text that says straight men are just lesbians with cargo shorts, and I don't know what to do with that. It just popped up on my screen. <laughs> Shout out to my partner. <laughs> oh, he has so many cargo shorts.